It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to the Be The People Show. Today's show is going to deal with an important issue that's taking place in America. On Monday, October 12th, the Senate Judiciary Committee began the process of considering the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Now, Barrett is an attorney, a law professor, and a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh District. She's a devout Christian and Catholic. She is a devout Catholic who's been sharply attacked because of her Christian faith. And in 2017, you may recall that California Senator Dianne Feinstein shocked everyone when she boldly declared to the judge, the dogma speaks loudly in you. More recently, Judge Barrett has been referred to as a handmaiden for Christians. And that was because of her role in a conservative Christian group. What is all this about? Well, it's really about Judge Barrett's likely position on abortion. It's believed she could provide a pivotal vote in a 6-3 majority to overturn Roe v. Wade. And Roe v. Wade is the 1973 Supreme Court decision that overturned abortion laws in the 50 states. Now, joining me today to discuss the American divide over abortion, as well as the nomination of Judge Barrett, is Danielle D'Souza Gill, an author and a blogger, as well as an activist who's been writing books since she was a teenager. And she's a friend of Be the People. Her first book, Why God? An Intelligent Discussion of the Relevance of Faith, was published in 2014. It was an apologetics book written by a teenager. Her latest book is The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Help me to welcome Danielle Sousa to the Be The People show. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here with you. Well, it's exciting to publish uh, a new book. And I understand you just got it in your hands a few days ago. Yes, yes. I only got it in my hands a few days before it came out a couple days ago because there um, had been some uh, delays with the um, manufacturing, but the book is widely available for everyone and I only got it a few days before everyone else. So I was very excited to receive that package. What I really want to hear right now is your opinion about the hearings that when this airs, they will be ongoing. Uh, how do you think that's going to uh, turn out? Will the Democrats respect Judge Barrett's Christian faith? Absolutely not. I think they've already shown their true colors. They've already shown, you know, just how horrible, uh, how horrible treatment they gave to Kavanaugh. Even, um, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, they acted like it was about the Me Too movement. They acted like that was what that was about. But in reality, 
um, Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer, Deborah Katz, talked about how Roe v. Wade is part of what motivated Christine. And so I think now with the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, it's going to be even more clear to the left that Roe v. Wade is at stake. And we've seen them attacking her for her Christian faith, but also for the fact that she adopted children from Haiti. They've said, you know, she's a racist because she adopted those children and, and she has, um, I believe, seven children. And to think that they would demonize her just for, um, just for that really shows how, wow, they're willing to attack her family. They're willing to attack her faith. She's obviously a very successful uh, religious person and a role model to many young women, but yet the left wants to destroy her. Maybe you can explain to me and the audience why she's a racist for adopting kids from Haiti. I don't see it at all. I think it's a completely ridiculous accusation. It's actually interesting in light of, you know, kind of the abortion arguments. The left will say things like, well, if you think that children shouldn't be aborted, then why don't you adopt some? Then when people do adopt them, they say, you're a racist because you adopted, you know, this child from Haiti. And it's just like, it just makes absolutely no sense. But I think that it just goes to show that they actually can't find any other things to accuse her of. So they're kind of reaching for the only thing they know how, which is uh, you know, the identity politics game. But as far as I know, there's really no one who's come forward, who's known her, who's said negative things about her. There's no one who's come forward um, to trash her. And I think they're they're really looking for a narrative there. Well, the left, it they uh, use the epithet of racist and racism, you know, very uh, liberally. Uh, I wonder if she had adopted children from China or Russia, would she still be a racist? Probably. <laughs> Probably. I, I just, I, it's shocking to me the fact that the left finds, you know, adoption to be such a, such a horrible thing. Um, the idea that someone would say, I want to adopt children to help them. You know, she, of course, um, is, seems like a great mom and, and very successful lady as well. So I think those accusations are definitely going to backfire on the, on the left. The fact that they're doing that really just shows that, you know, wow, the American people, it shows us that Hmm. The left really doesn't have our best interest at heart. The left doesn't respect a woman like Amy Coney Barrett. They just want to destroy her. Well, they certainly do. And it will be interesting over the next few weeks. Uh, do you believe she will be confirmed before the November elections? I do. I do believe she'll be confirmed. It seems like we, we have enough votes. And the fact that even uh, Biden won't deny that they'll pack the court, Kamala Harris won't deny that they'll pack the court. So I think the left is kind of already anticipating Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation, and they're anticipating uh, really, you know, not following the rule of law at all and kind of creating, um, creating chaos, really. And when we talk about the abortion divide in America, how would you describe that uh, divide? It's a very deep divide. Uh, it's a deep divide that's gotten worse and worse. I think in the time of Roe v. Wade in 1973, the left talked about how, you know, abortion would be safe, legal, and rare. People asked questions like, you know, what is going on in the womb? When does life begin? And kind of speculated and said things like, well, maybe it's potential life in the womb, and maybe we should defend potential life. But the reality is that as technology has developed as, you know, with the ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat just a few weeks into pregnancy, we really don't have to guess what's happening in the womb. It's very clear that there's human life in the womb during pregnancy. 
And um, ironically, as technology has shown us more and more uh, the truth of the humanity of the child in the womb, the left has only become more radicalized on abortion. But let me ask you this. Uh, What are the stats on public opinion as far as young people and then older people as far as their attitudes about abortion? Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, um, I think I think over 75 percent of people are against late term abortion, as well as federal funding for abortion, both of which the Democrats push for. And um, it's interesting too, actually talking to older people who are um, kind of, I guess, moderate Democrats, they can't believe how radical uh, the far left is today and kind of their position on these late term nine month born alive situation abortions of uh, really uh, killing. And even when I talk to young people, it's just, it's so clear that it's a human rights issue. And it's so clear that, you know, this is a body, this is a human, this is a person involved. And I think a lot of young people are looking at the issue with Uh, fresh eyes kind of outside of this whole idea that, you know, we have to have some kind of hypothesis or suppose what's going on in the womb. No, we can really see it. We can hear it. And um, it's very clear what's going on in the womb to to a lot of young people. I think the pro-life movement is picking up a lot of steam with young people who are not even necessarily um, conservative across the board or who are not, um, you know, maybe even even religious, but just see the science behind it and see that it's a human rights issue. And I would say that ethicists like Peter Singer uh, at Princeton, that some of the arguments that he has made has emboldened the left because he would not make a distinction between the abortion and killing a child, but he would say the parent would have the right to kill the child. And that makes it harder for them to pretend they don't know what's taking place. Exactly. I think uh, Peter Singer, you mentioned um, the bioethicist who's, I, I believe, a professor at Princeton. Yes. Um, he has you know, written about how even so many days after birth, you could kill the child. And there's really no difference from a newborn infant than a baby, you know, a few minutes before being born. And I would say that, you know, that is so true. It's so true. There really is no difference between a baby before it's born and after it's born, because we're really just talking about a matter of location. And for someone like me, I think that you should not be able to kill either of those children. And he would say you should be able to kill both of those children. And actually the left's argument that, oh, you know, this child moments before it's born, totally a cluster of cells, totally can be killed. But this child right after, no, no, we, 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 we think that's a person. I mean, it just really makes no sense. And I don't think a lot of leftists actually believe that because there's no rational uh, argument behind that. But Danielle, I found it fascinating that New York last January passed the most liberal abortion law in the nation. And when you look at when the first COVID cases are presented themselves, when they first became concerned, it's almost to the day, a date that the governor signed that bill. And it was very interesting watching Governor Cuomo argue, argue about life and how they were going to save so many lives when he signed that bill uh, into law. And so the hypocrisy of the political left to pretend they care about life when they made it very clear uh, in New York State that they didn't and that you could abort a child up to the point of birth. 
Yeah, exactly. Governor Cuomo, he lit up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate the fact that they legalized nine-month abortions for no medical reason. Uh, You can literally be going into labor, dilating, say, I want an abortion. And um, the fact that he said that this is something he wants the rest of the states and the nation to follow shows that, wow, you know, they really do celebrate abortion. And um, even as you mentioned- They celebrate death. And I don't know if you recall, you may may not have been in New York, in 2015, they lit up the Empire State Building in honor of the Hindu god Kali, the god of death. And so they do seem to embrace a culture of death. And then we had the governor of Virginia, Governor Northam, uh, saying that you could um, ha- have a child that's born, and then the doctor and the parent could decide what to do with the child, whether or not to kill the child after birth. And so that's the closest we've come to infanticide. Exactly. And he's still governor of Virginia. He's still governor. The fact that so many Democrats did not call him out, did not say, you know, Governor Northam, you must denounce, you know, infanticide. You must denounce this. They never asked him that. They never said any of those things. Even the fact that he was caught in that photo with, you know, KKK hood and blackface, they still defend him. And so it just goes to show that the left They don't care about race. They don't care about children. They don't care about infanticide or any of these things. And the left is really just trying to keep pushing the boundary. And I think the fact that they don't respect life in the womb translates to the fact that they don't respect life outside the womb either. I was very horrified with the Netflix's cuties um, advertisements and all of that and seeing kind of this sexualization and objectification of young girls. But I think in many ways, it's like, this is what happens when you have a culture that devalues children, that says we can kill children. So if you can kill children, then why not also turn this into child pornography? It's very disgusting. And I think all of it is is connected to a larger ideology that they're pushing. And we also see just an overall devaluation of life, because again, going back to New York, that was Governor Cuomo that sent uh, COVID positive patients into the nursing homes. And a lot of those deaths in New York were people in nursing homes and, and also in some other states. Yes, and he, he wrote a book celebrating his treatment of COVID and celebrating how he uh, you know, dealt with the virus. I think it just shows that, you know, wow, okay, he's celebrating the death of infants in the womb, and he's celebrating the death of the elderly. So once you start cutting people off on both ends of the life spectrum, I mean, that's what the left is pushing for. They, they don't care about the children, and they don't care about old people. Well, that's certainly the case. We're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll continue this conversation about abortion in America, and we'll get to your book. Be the People is sponsored by Cooper Steel, a family-owned business that provides the steel fabrications for buildings across the Southeast. Sixty years ago, Kenneth and Faye Cooper founded the company in Chevyville, Tennessee, which started as a vision is now a nationally recognized company that remains true to its founders' Judeo-Christian values and principles. Cooper Steel is committed to excellence, responsibility, and community. Its motto is build strong, stand strong. It treats its employees and customers like family. Learn more at coopersteel.com. My fellow Americans, 
Patriots, our mission here at AmericaOutloud.com is clear. We're here to defend our founding values and principles at a moment when they are under unprecedented assault. And to cover the news objectively and offer intelligent commentary on the challenges we face as a nation. You can tune in and join our family of listeners 24-7 in this vital crusade. Our apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Find us on iHeartRadio or our world-class media player. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. I'm back with my guest, uh, Danielle D'Souza Gill, and we're talking about abortion. And Danielle, to write a book about something, you have to really care about it. And so what was it that led you to believe that um, this was the time for a new book about abortion? Because there have been hundreds of books, maybe thousands, written about abortion. So why do we need a new one? Well, I think it's really important to make sure that we have books that address both the head and the heart. I think sometimes uh, we kind of focus on either one or the other. Sometimes we're focused on solely the, uh, you know, pro-life arguments, and sometimes we're focused solely on kind of the stories of people who've been through it. But I felt like there wasn't really one book I could go to where I could say, okay, this is the pro-abortion myth, or this is the pro-choice argument that I want a response to. I want this kind of explained in a way that's very current. So that's why I wanted to write this book and also make sure that it was kind of presented in a way that people who are not pro-life or people who are not already on board with that could read it. Um, That was another reason why I wanted to make sure the cover art was not kind of the traditional uh, silhouette of the the pregnant stomach with the child inside. I felt like that was very (laughs) commonly used image on, you know, a a pamphlet and things like that and can maybe be a turnoff for people who are not sure yet what they think about this issue. So Um, I feel like the life issue is something that we should all be able to unite behind and say that, you know, regardless of of other differences, uh, killing, killing a small child is, is something that we should not be okay with. And so, um, but what led me to do that? I think when I was in college, when I saw kind of the radical, um, you know, Planned Parenthood supporters, the Planned Parenthood tabling, and how they just so ardently supported Hillary Clinton, and were, you know, sticking those kind of stickers everywhere and things like that, I just saw it as, you know, wow, where are kind of the young uh, women on the campus who are doing the pro-life uh, stuff. And I know that there are many great pro-life um, student clubs, but I wanted to make sure we kind of took back the narrative of what is women's empowerment. Women's empowerment is not abortion. Women's empowerment is um, the opposite of abortion. It's life, life for all little boys and little girls. Well, I know at one point on the college campuses, any group that wanted to provide information that would be choices other than abortion to young women, they had difficulty posting their literature on the college campuses. Is that still the case or would you know? I'm not totally sure, but I know that for um, Dartmouth where I went, they would probably not allow a pro-life group to send um, emails on their listserv, you know, to all the students. They would probably only be able to email 
uh, certain students who maybe specifically signed up, even though for other clubs, you would be allowed to, you know, email, email everyone. And we experienced that with our Christian group, um, just, you know, to talk about, hey, we're, we're doing this this Friday um, to have a speaker or something like that. They would definitely try to stop it. And when you think about uh, your book, the timing, I guess, couldn't be better because of the Amy Bird uh, hearings that are taking place. Uh, what do you hope uh, as far as the impact of your book? I hope that with the SCOTUS hearings, I hope that people start to return to thinking about abortion. I think uh, the abortion issue is definitely brewing with all of the changes coming to our court and to our country uh, with the election. And I hope that people start to re-examine this issue with fresh eyes, especially people who um, are, are conservative and may not actually care about the social issues. Uh, that's concerning to me. And then also many Christians, uh, many Christians didn't vote in the last election. Many Christians don't take up the pro-life cause. And um, of course, there are many people who are apolitical who um, I think could definitely get on board with the pro-life issue. So my book, my hope for the book is that um, it's a book that you could read coming from kind of any any perspective. It's a book you could share with a friend and, and not feel uncomfortable uh, sharing it with them or discussing it with them. And my hope is that it would uh, hopefully uh, be a long-lasting uh, book that people could read beyond, you know, this year and this election. Well, when you mentioned the church, there are churches and people within the church that support abortion. Uh, how did we get to that point? I think we got there from really the left poisoning, uh, poisoning many churches and taking over many churches. It's actually interesting to see um, these very beautiful buildings in New York City that used to be churches, but have now been transformed into these radical left, you know, uh, they call them churches, but they're not preaching the word and they are basically, you know, hanging up uh, Black Lives Matter signs and all of this stuff. And it's just very sad to see kind of the left try to poison, um, poison God's, God's church and to see those, those churches not actually uh, care about the life issue and even push abortion. Um, I know whenever I've met some Christians in the city and I've told them, oh, you know, um, I'm very focused on the life issue. Uh, I wrote this book. They, they're not on board. So um, I think they, it makes them uncomfortable because many Christian women have had abortions and I've had an abortion. And if you don't deal with that or grow in your faith and really accept the forgiveness that comes through Christ, then there's a lot of shame involved or you would try to justify it. And I think that a lot of rationalizations take place among the Christian women who don't want to confess or admit their own participation in it. Yeah, it's very sad, I think, too, because um, the pro-life movement's goal isn't to say, oh, you know, we want to shame anyone or any of that. We absolutely don't want to do that. Um, I think my goal is just moving forward to say, how can we genuinely change hearts and minds on this issue? How can we genuinely strive for a culture of life moving forward and a change in our laws as well? Um, and I know that, as you mentioned, there is healing from a, from a situation like that. And um, the sad thing is the fact that Planned Parenthood and so many abortion organizations don't want women to see their ultrasound. They don't want women to actually know what is going on in that procedure, what's going to happen. And it's because they want to pull the wool over women's eyes and kind of get them to go through this. And many women later then say, oh, you know, I didn't realize 
um, you know, what that, what, what that was. What's even worse than that, because if you look at the health consequences of women who have had abortions, uh, the pro-choice side doesn't want women to get information about physical conditions they may suffer, including sterilization. Uh, for some women, you know, a greater likelihood of breast cancer. That's been well documented, even though there's been an effort not to get that research out. Uh, they try to prevent women from having the information they would need to make informed decisions that would be intelligent and protective of their own health. It's just, it's so sad because in so many ways, uh, we see now many couples struggling to have kids. We see many, many people having children later in life. And so then they turn to adoption. And I think, uh, you know, adoption is something that we don't talk about enough. The fact that, you know, it's not just about abortion versus, uh, you know, having to raise the child because, you know, um, adoption is always an option and is not uh, pushed enough. There are about 35 families per every child available for adoption. So there are absolutely families waiting to love and raise, raise that child. I would agree with you. Um, and I would like to see that change, more resources for people that want to have, um, that would like to adopt. And it's been, it, adoption has been made unnecessarily costly. And I think that that's something that could be addressed if we had a culture of life. Absolutely. And I, when I think, too, about the fact that there is money set aside by the federal government for, you know, family, uh, family planning, I wonder, like, hmm, okay, well, adoption to me seems like the ultimate family planning because it takes a lot of planning to kind of make sure that the child is put into the right home and, you know, the parents are connected uh, with that. And I think also we don't talk about enough about the fact that there are closed adoptions. I think some women think, oh, you know, if I put my child up for adoption, maybe, um, you know, it's going to be weird or something, but um, there are anonymous uh, closed adoptions as well. One of the concerns that I have, and I don't know if you've thought much about this, is that because they use aborted fetal cells in so many drugs and even food additives, I wonder if the people that are pushing, you know, abortion to stay legal, pushing abortion laws to remain unchanged, if they will start using the medical arguments that we have to have these uh, aborted fetal cells, otherwise we'll never be able to address all these diseases. That to me is a concerning, and it's also concerning to me that the coronavirus vaccines, I believe four out of five have aborted fetal cells. I've heard about the fact that there is embryonic uh, stem cell research, but there's also a lot of stem cell research that does not involve um, embryo. And I think that that should be the focus. Um, of course, I'm, I'm not a stem cell expert, but you can actually get a lot out of um, what, I, what, I, what, I've, what I understand outside of embryonic uh, stem cell research. So I don't think there's actually even a need for that at all. I don't think it's a need for it, but I can imagine someone bringing that argument uh, that argument up if they thought abortion was going to be uh, declared illegal. Yeah, I mean, I think that the left is just always going to try to make arguments that hide behind health. It's always interesting when the left tries to say, oh, no, no, but there's this other health and there's this and that. And it's like, okay, well, let's just pretend that that is true. Let's pretend that 
you know, that is going to be life-saving. Well, you can't kill one person to save another person. Then we get into the whole utilitarian argument of, well, what if it's, you know, killing one person to save all these other people, this number of people? And it's like, no, 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 we don't play the numbers game. It's not about that. So um, I think we have very advanced technology and it's definitely possible to not have to, you know, save lives by killing other people. That's a good point. We're going to take another break. And when we return, I want you to talk more about your book and I'll give you an opportunity to tell people how they can get their copy. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's word with miraculous results? There is such a book. Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, uh, Danielle D'Souza Gill, and we're talking about abortion. And Danielle, tell us a little bit more about your book. We've talked about it some. Uh, why do you think that this book at this time is the book that's going to make a difference when it comes to Roe v. Wade? Well, um, my book is called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. And in the book, I really uh, dive into the most popular pro-choice arguments, the most popular, um, not just a fetus is a cluster of cells and my body, my choice and abortion empowers women, but also kind of more interesting arguments like how would the welfare state support these children? Or what if these children are unwanted? And what if they, you know, don't um, live in a good home? What if they're abused or in the foster foster care system? Um, also, what about just this idea that there's a lot of suffering in the world? A lot of people suffer and, you know, maybe for the fetus, that kind of sucks for you. You have to die. There are other people who die due to other tragedies. And this is just another one. Um, so I really try to take on kind of unique arguments as well as the ones that we hear often from the left, because I think it's important for us to address all sides of this issue of what people are actually wondering and thinking about. So I think that's the main thing that's going to kind of make this book more influential and unique in terms of changing people's minds when it comes to abortion. Um, you mentioned Roe v. Wade, and I think that um, my chapter on Roe v. Wade is one of my favorites because so many, I think, don't know just how radical Roe v. Wade was. Uh, Roe v. Wade um, basically took away all of the state's rights from any state that wanted to limit abortion in a meaningful way. So there were states just the year before who had who had passed, you know, laws saying we won't allow abortion uh, basically for most most of the pregnancy or we won't allow abortion unless it's perhaps a rape, rape, rape exception. And so states were not on board with this radical nine month abortion uh, situation. And California was one of the most radical, but most states were not on board uh, with what Roe v. Wade passed. But Roe v. Wade basically took away all those states rights and said, okay, you're a state that wants to limit it, you can't. That's right. And um, that's the problem with Roe v. Wade. And I think that it's important that many people know that the only way we can get to our goal of a culture of life is by overturning Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade isn't the end step, it's kind of the first step. And once we overturn Roe v. Wade and it goes back to the states, only then 
could we push for a federal ban or, or a constitutional amendment or kind of the next step? But um, it has to start with the overturning of Roe. And Danielle, which, how you describe your book and the issues it takes on, those are the ones that intellectuals use to brainwash, brainwash young people. And so I'm so glad that you're not taking on the arguments that we've heard for the last 50 years. You really are uh, pushing the boundaries, you know, <laughs> the new frontier for young people, because those are the ones that will be making the decisions in the future. Thank you. Yeah, I think that so often um, there there are uh, arguments pushed by, like we mentioned, Hollywood and, and the left uh, elites out there, but then there are also messages pushed by the professors and pushed by kind of these theoretical, uh, hypothetical situations. And I think it's important that we address all of them because uh, once we refute every single one of them, I, I really don't see how someone could walk away and say, I'm still pro-abortion. I right. think- maybe someone could say, okay, Danielle, I agree with you. It is a human life. I agree with you, um, you know, with, with all these things, but I'm still in favor of, of killing. I guess someone could say that, which is kind of what I was saying with the last chapter about, well, that just sucks for you. Um, so I think that's where young people are. I don't think that many young people actually believe pregnancy does not involve a baby. does not right. involve human. Everybody right. knows what pregnancy is. You feel the stomach, you feel the kicking, you hear the heartbeat. It's like, you know exactly what's happening there. Um, so this whole idea that it's a big mystery that's going on in the womb, this whole idea that we have no idea what pregnancy is, I think most young people don't buy that argument that the left is pushing. Daniel, tell our listeners where they can find your book. Yes, um, my book is called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America, and it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Christian Books, and if you like to listen, it's available on Audible, and if you like to read ebooks, it's available on ebook.com, uh, so all of the different formats are available. Thank you so much for being a guest again on the Be The People show, and I look forward uh, to reading your book. Uh, that's hot off the press and would encourage uh, our listeners to go and get your own copy. And Danielle embodies what Be The People is about, that she's not sitting on the sidelines. She's out there making things happen. And so to all of you, uh, I encourage you, especially during this season of an election, to go out there and be the people who change our nation and our world. Thank you. Thank you.